available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. David is not solo this week. I'm back. Otherwise, or I've gotten very good at impressions. Like, very good. You are very good anyway, but yes, I uh, got my second shot, kicked my ass. We could have did the show a little bit later. David's like, nah, I'll do the show by myself. And uh, we are now doing it on a Sunday night um, because, I don't know, we're, our schedules are all whack, whack-a-doodle. But we're doing another show. But I'm glad to be back with you, David. I thought you did an excellent job in my absence. It, it successfully went up, right? It got successfully uploaded to our feed and people listen to it. That's all you can really say about anything. There was some erotic fiction in there. Uh, <laughs> about you. There, yeah, there was some, there was some David Wood slash fic in there. At least that's what the, I think that's what the kids call it. Um, so great, really wonderful stuff. Um, I'm very glad you're back. So I'm no longer harassed uh, by myself. So, so if you would just say in general, as popularity goes, like you have a different personality. I, I would, I would probably be the most quote unquote popular of the hosts. Is that fair? But no one's ever written erotic fan fiction about me. Like they did you. So you probably jumped ahead. Of I think, me, I, I think, think I probably inspire the strongest feelings. Okay. Uh, in, in, in either direction. Um, like I would think there are probably a few people who are angry enough to like say words to me on a street here. Uh, among our listeners, uh, but you probably not getting that. And as we can see, uh, somebody, uh, you know, feeling good enough to write some erotic fiction, which great. You know, we take all comers here. Awesome. Speaking of erotic fiction, maybe not, but uh, I got to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Jared, who's a big bro guy, big UCLA fan, loves David Woods. Got to meet him at little Shellback Tavern in Manhattan beach, uh, the other day. And he said, are you Ryan Abraham? Like, yes, he goes, I I'm a big UCLA fan, but I listen to the podcast of champions. So I wanted to give Jared a little shout out, but he's a fan of yours, David. Great. We love to hear it. We love to hear people walking up to you and telling them how much of a fan they are of me. <laughs> See, you're, you're like, you're on the up, you're the up and up right now. Uh, if you guys want to get in contact with us, uh, if you don't run into us in Shellback, you can do this by email. Uh, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. If you'd rather call or text us, we have three voicemails this week. Crazy. 424-532-0678. Leave us a voicemail or send us a text. You can tweet us at Pac-12podcast, as David said last week. Most likely it's me going to be answering you, but whatever. We, we'll try. We'll do our best. Uh, the website is Pac-12podcast.com. That's where all the old episodes are. David will say don't go there. I'm going to tell you you should go there. Reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions if you want to interact we have a bunch of fans on there, but we just haven't jumped in ourselves lately. We need to do that. Probably won't. 
But also, if you want to leave erotic fan fiction for either one of us, most likely David, Apple Podcasts, follow us there. Follow the Podcast of Champions. Please rate us five stars. Write something funny. You leave us five stars, we will read whatever it is, even if it's erotic fan fiction about one of the hosts. Especially if it's erotic <laughs> fan fiction about one of the hosts. All right, we've got a couple of new ones. Okay. Ryan from Greeley, Colorado. Uh, it's not you. It's a different Ryan. Good. I know. It's, a, it's an uncommon name. but I've not been to Greeley. Yep. Uh, five stars? It's a question in his subject line, but he has rated us five stars, so it's fine. He said, honestly, I'm only here for the shout out on a podcast. P.S. Scobuffs. There hey, you go, Ryan. You get your shout out. You totally get your shout out. Um, yeah. Dozens of Pac-12 fans will have heard your name now. So that's yeah, great. Dozens. 20s, possibly even 30s of uh, Pac-12 fans. Uh, Ham on Rye, another five-star review. I'm unsure about this. This is one of the most okay podcasts out there. Ryan does a nice job of keeping things organized, and David seems to participate out of some sense of obligation. Does he owe Ryan a life debt or something? <laughs> yes. I, I resemble a Wookiee in some ways, and I do owe Ryan a life debt. Uh, listen, and you won't regret it. Topics include Disney princesses, Star Wars, potential outcomes of school mascot battles. But wait, there's more. Tune in next week to find out how David feels about Rick Neuheisel. Love it. Thank you, Ham on Rye. Thanks, Ham on Rye. Um, hey, speaking of, I, I haven't fired up my Disney Plus mm -hmm. uh, lately. No new Mandalorians, but there's a new like Star Wars thing. But I guess it's an offshoot of another one, like the Clone Wars, which is animated. Should I bother? Should, is is that worth watching? So, I watched half of one episode of the animated thing, and I couldn't do it. This was okay. like a year ago, and I was just and this is just me being like a complete like whatever old dude, whatever, but I'm like, I, I just can't watch it. It's animated. It's going to be kid stuff. And I know there's a whole probably subset of our listeners who are like deep into like, you know, animated stuff that's for like adults and stuff. And I'm just like, I, I can't. So I wasn't able to do it. And so then I saw this bad batch thing was also, I think animated and I'm just, no, no, not going to do it. Okay. So not do it. All right. Well, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like this, Ryan. So I have kids, right? Yes. So animated stuff is their province. And it's sort of like this as well in that, so goldfish, that's like a perfectly reasonable snack for like an adult, I guess. Um, I could not eat goldfish now because they're my kids' snacks, you know? Oh. Animated stuff, that's the that's the province of the children. I'm not I'm not getting into that. So I, I like even like Simpsons, even like, I don't know, do people still watch South Park? I don't know. I'm not watching that. No, no animated stuff. I've watched, I watch a lot of animated stuff, which is weird. Like Rick and Morty. I'll watch some South Park. I'll watch some Family Guy. No, you don't like Family Guy. I'll do some Simpsons, uh, Archer. Wow. Like, I like wow. a lot of those. Wow. Do you yeah. watch uh, Bojack Horseman? No, I don't know what that is. What's that? That's uh, about a depressed horse. Oh, no. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Check uh, it out. I like Bob's Burgers. Yeah. I don't think you like that one or you've not watched it very much. I haven't watched any of this. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. Like Bob's Burgers, whatever. H, so H. John Benjamin is like, uh, he's I, got this. I, I know, I know. But, you know who he is. Okay. Great voice. He does Archer. He does uh, uh, Bob's Burgers. So I like the, I like all those things, but I don't know. Okay. So maybe this is for you then. I'm you sure. Watch, but I might uh, try to watch it. I've heard good things about the Clone Wars and now this Bad Batch thing. So why don't you watch them? I didn't know if watch I should just in jump into Bad Batch right away because it's supposed to be like an offshoot of Clone Wars and I haven't seen any of those and that's like multiple seasons so I'm like that seems like a big you know 
I mean, I'm still doing uh, Yellowstone right now. So okay, okay. I'm not re- have you seen that one? No, I just got done with a. I was I was rewatching Breaking Bad. I can do like one thing at a time. That's yeah, tough. it's tough. Um, Breaking Bad's awesome. Love it. All right, so let's jump into some stuff. We got all the reviews out of the way. I think the first thing we got to talk about is the NFL draft. Uh, I guess it was like two weeks, oh, well, like last week, last weekend. Um, overall for the Pac-12, uh, it was, um, it's the fewest selections, NFL draft selections uh, that the Pac-12 has produced in eight years. Um, less than half as many as the SEC. Um, pretty big margins by the big 10 and ACC as well. So, uh, 57 players were available last year and then 43 this year. Um, but there was some aspect of some people returned because of COVID, uh, you know, like, you know, Oregon, we're going to talk about their spring game in a little bit. They had a couple guys that could have been drafted. They come back and there ends up being, you know, the captains of the, the Oregon team for their spring game. Um, but overall, you know, three first rounders, um, all three of them had opted out at some point. Elijah Vera Tucker is the only one that came back. Penny Sewell and Joe Tryon from Oregon and Washington, respectively, both opted out, didn't play 2020. Elijah Vera, Vera Tucker did opt out, came back and played, probably helped him because he had to play in some left tackle and he goes in the middle of the, uh, first round. So three first rounders and, uh, you know, overall just sort of like you had, uh, one, two, three, you know, three second rounders, uh, five third rounders, and then a bunch of guys go on the last day between the fifth and seventh rounds. Um, any thoughts, David, overall? How, how, how many total did? How many total Pac-12 draft picks were there? What was uh, the number? Um, that's a good question. It was, okay, blah, 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 blah. There's three of the first round. 28. 28, 28 players total, yeah. So, and if uh, Chip Kelly hadn't purged his entire roster, it would have been 30, right? Yeah, that Jaylen, was first Jaylen rounder. Phillips and Brandon Stevens. Yeah. Um, what, so just, one I, was the first just, rounder? What just, was one the of my, just one of my little takeaways from the, uh, from the list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so one thing, like, I, I think it's, um, we've, gone, we've gone over this before, uh, but I think a big part of it is just the lack of success for the Pac-12 in both respects. I think they've done a generally uh, poor job of locking down the West um, in recruiting, and that's going to uh, generally leave a lot of those talented guys who come out of the West going to other schools and getting drafted out of there. Um, so I don't know that it's surprising in any real way. I think this is another um, commentary on... Um, and, you know, not to beat the drum of the two schools we cover just incessantly, but it's another commentary on the lack of um, recruiting success, the lack of development success from USC and UCLA, and the lack of on-field success. Because there is also, unless you are a true superstar, there's very much, I think, a correlation between team success and whether or not a guy gets drafted. I know everyone who's, like, really big into the NFL draft thinks it's, like, a pure science, and it really isn't. Um, if, if somebody's on a good team, um, with good surrounding players, um, they might get drafted higher than they, um, probably should based on their own individual talent. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's all that stuff, but I think a big part of it is USC and UCLA being, um, you know, down, uh, relative to their history in terms of both talent acquisition and talent development and, um, success on the field. 
And then you might give a slight, um, you know, knock to like Stanford as well, which was reliably producing um, NFL draft talent for a while. And I think, you know, Davis Mills, obviously, but um, uh, they're not producing it at the levels they have in the past. So I think there's a lot of different point fingers to point and, you know, blame to be assigned. But once again, I think it's a large commentary on um, the top tier in terms of um, talent, which is generally the LA schools, um, at least a section of the top tier. I mean, obviously um, Oregon is in there and and Washington to an extent, but those two schools just being down. Yeah. I think that's a a big part of this. And, you know, we see a lot of Pac-12 quarterbacks go, you only saw Davis Mills. He was the only Pac-12 quarterback selected. Seven other quarterbacks were picked before he was. Stanford did have five picks, though, uh, along with USC and Oregon. So, you know, that's a that's a positive there. Uh, I, John Wilner pointed out that there weren't any receivers, tight ends, or running backs from the Pac-12 selected until Amon Ross St. Brown went to the Lions in the fourth round. So no offensive skill position talent in the first three rounds. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. And that's kind of shocking to me. Um, but I think that's, that's very much feels like a, uh, a commentary on USC. Um, and for a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, who was that top tier talent coming into school. And I, I don't know, I have little doubt that he's going to be a good NFL player, um, to go that low. That's kind of shocking to me. That speaks to, a I don't know, the team success more than anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the talent um, overall in the league. I think um, the 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 schools that generally have in the past produced a lot of NFL talent, just not recruiting very well and then not developing their talent very well. Um, and that's, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about with the success on the field where you see all these um, guys in the footprint leaving to go play for Alabama, leaving to go play for Ohio State, leaving to go play for Clemson. Um, that's, I mean, that's going to come home to roost and it is, um, uh, both on the field and then in this incidental thing, which is, uh, you know, the talent, uh, moving on to the NFL. Um, it's, it's important to recruit. Well, I, I think that's a pretty obvious thing. And, um, you know, some, some, uh, some schools are, are learning that. Yeah. Stars matter. There was a, I forget the, the tweet. So I retweeted it a bunch of times, but the, uh, they showed a graph of like where recruiting rankings were, you know, where the draft picks were. It's just basically like there was an X and Y axis and there was a concentration of picks all near the axis. Yes. There were picks that were further out guys that weren't really ranked very high in recruiting get picked somewhere in the draft, sometimes high, sometimes low, but the concentration is if you are a higher ranked prospect, you are probably, you know, you have a higher chance of getting ranked, uh, you know, picked uh, higher in the draft. So the, all those people that say stars don't matter, I get I get in arguments with you every year, but stars matter. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now for UCLA, just for one, just kind of to kind of show what I'm talking about here. In the last three NFL drafts, they have had six total picks. Um, in 2018 alone, they had five. In 2017 alone, they had five. In 2016 alone, they had eight. Uh, in 2015, a slight down year just because guys were coming back, they were three. And then 2014, there were five. Um, almost historically low. Like, you have to go back to probably the worst period of the Durrell. Even then, there was no time period where they were uh, that limited in terms of NFL draft talent. Yeah. Um, 
So it's just kind of a historically down period for UCLA, and I'm sure it's pretty similar, even if not in total picks, um, in where they're getting selected for USC. Yeah, they had one pick in the first 100. Uh, you know, they did have an offensive lineman selected in the first round, middle of the first round for two years in a row, but not having anyone else in the top 100, that's not good for USC. They had five overall picks, but, uh, you know, just one first rounder, then no one until the fourth round. So that's uh, that's not a good look either. So, I mean, it's good that Oregon and Stafford each had five, but they just, you know, you needed more. You needed more from the Pac-12. So uh, we'll see. You know, Alabama, yeah, they had six first-round draft picks as a single school. I think it was eight of the first, like, 38 picks were were Alabama players, and they get a bump, right, because like what you talked about. But they had a receiver win the Heisman Trophy, and a different receiver on their team got drafted higher. Like, that is some crazy talent going on there at Alabama. Yeah, absolutely. It's um – yeah, they're 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 participating on a different plane of football existence than um, not not just the Pac-12, but all but like two other teams. Um, yeah. So it's just, you know, that's just one of those things you have to get used to. It's just looking at it like what Oregon did here. It's good for Oregon, but it's not like the, there's so much that like Oregon and Washington and the schools that have actually recruited will have to do to make up for. And I, I honestly, looking at USC, I don't even think it's USC. It's making up for UCLA. Uh, UCLA is not carrying its weight in terms of producing talent the way it should. Um, and to make up for that, to make the league look better, I mean, it's it's on. I mean, it's very much on UCLA to do that. They've been really bad at um, recruiting and developing talent um, under Chip Kelly, and that needs to shift. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, the NFL draft. It's sad that that's over because that's like kind of a cool thing to sort of is look it, forward to. Uh, it, I like it. You can talk about it. Something to talk no, about. It's it's you and, and these people who care about the NFL draft and like the NFL generally that are turning college football into this nonsense thing where there's going to be like a 12 team playoff now. By the way, D- does anyone care about the NFL regular season? Like, really? I do, do they? I like it. They're going to have 17 games, maybe. Um, cares. It, it did suck that I wasn't around for like everyone basically saying they got to expand the playoff. And I know you and some of our loyal listeners are really not don't expand the playoff fan, but that you, I mean, you guys are like beta max, oh, oh, you know, okay. like yeah, we're well, all VHS going forward. Obviously, here. obviously the sport has improved so much since the playoff came into effect. Yes. Right. Yeah. Isn't it so Isn't much it supposed to be regional? Oh, Isn't it supposed to be like a regional thing where three quarters of the country doesn't care about the sport? Is that, is that what you're saying? Isn't it so great how uh, the playoff has just fixed every problem that exists in college football? Eight or like 12 team playoffs, that'll fix a lot of stuff, but it'll be good. But it's okay. I don't need to argue about it. Everyone's agreeing with me. Like Clemson can just like waltz into conference games and not worry about them because they don't actually have a, you know, a single elimination to uh, their regular season anymore. It's fine. It's great. I don't think they do right now anyway, but. But now they can lose two or three games and still make the playoff. So I'm just very, I can can sit here on my perch much of the regular season as we possibly can. Knowing the college football world is on my side and you and the rest of the the, The only few listeners, the only people who've actually hate the expansion, your side, the only people who actually thought about it, who are on your side are people who are in the actual money-making business of college football. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I just, I like being on the right side of things. I'm just happy. This is where we're going forward. It's going to be expanded. 
all you guys complaining about shouldn't expand, blah blah blah. Like eh, it's just gonna go away. You know, it's let's be- let's make let's make this uh, this beautiful, uh, weird, and unique sport uh, just like pro football. I think it'll be great. Yeah, I don't think it'll be just like pro football, but we need to make it more. No, it's no, no. Very We're just gonna regional right all, now. The, all the formatting the exact same so that the uh, actual um, uh, diminished quality becomes, you know, really stark. It'll be Did great. Did you like um, some of the rule changing stuff that was going on? I forget exactly what there was like the overtime rule. Like now you got to like go uh, for two over- in the second overtime. And the overtime rule is pretty stupid. Uh, I yeah. don't like that. Um, you know, it takes, I think, one of the things that. <laughs> It takes the thing that uh, college football has actually, I would say, successfully done pretty well, um, figured out in overtime, unlike uh, the very stupid NFL. And uh, now they're trying to make it worse is basically my my take on it. Yeah. Like, it's one thing, okay, people have likened the college football overtime to penalty kicks for a long time. The Each team gets a turn from 25-yard line. But turning it into each team has to make a two-point conversion over and over again that is, is making it like penalty kicks. Yeah, um, Like that's not – from the 25-yard line, you are recreating a, a very, very common scenario from the game over and over again. Just doing two-point conversions over and over again is not. Like that's just – I don't know. It, it It feels like that's going to diminish what has made for some really fun and kind of silly, stupid – um games over the years you know those overtimes that like suddenly it was a uh 35 35 game at the end of, end of the regulation and then it ended up 70 to 70 or something right. like that's yeah. that's just kind of fun and stupid and it doesn't happen often enough for it to be a problem um so yeah they had like one game a decade that they're trying to eliminate I'm like if you have one game a decade like you don't need to change the rule you know well, like this would be a small argument but it's part of it even with the playoff argument Anything that's serving to flatten um, the the silly and stupid parts of college football, I don't know that those are necessarily improvements. Um, yeah. Because the silly and stupid is part of what makes college football kind of. I mean, it, it's what makes it, it. It's what makes it for somebody like me, at least in part, more enjoyable. Obviously, I've got a lot of personal investment more in college football than the pro game, but the flattening of the pro game is what makes it so uninteresting to me. Like so many of those teams are playing the exact same style of football and the teams are all so equally talented um, that the margins can be so minimal unless there is like a drastic scheme shift that only lasts for a couple of years until the rest of the league catches up. It's, it's purity. Um, College football doesn't have that and it's got silly and weird and, Oh, these kids actually can only practice for 20 hours a week. Let's see what kind of hijinks they get up to. Um, and you know, just taking what is one of the areas where that kind of stupid stuff can happen and making it less interesting and potentially, and very much so less high scoring. I don't know. Less interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's less stuff in the NFL where like the wildcat was like hot for a little while, but even that, that doesn't even last like a season, like college football, you can do something weird, like a spread or whatever. Reinvented the entire sport and he burned out after a year and a half in the NFL, like completely changed the game in his first year at the Eagles. Oh my God. Everyone. And then everyone adjusted and he was dead. Dead. He was dead. Um, It's just like that. And uh, you know, I think we'll see what happens with the chiefs, but um, yeah, I just don't think there's uh, any lasting ability to be super unique in the, uh, in the NFL. Yeah. All right. We got some other news. Utah. Utah has a home and home series with Wisconsin starting in 2028. Oh man. Toughness, hey, right? Get your tickets, everybody. Yeah. But that's like, 
that's like two just tough run the football, grind it out kind of programs. Like that's, uh, you know, I think that's going to be a good one. It is. Uh, this point's been made a lot in the wake of the pandemic year where games were scheduled literally a day in advance. But what the hell are we doing? Why That's are we true. scheduling anything seven years in advance? What's the point? <sighs> we'll be do in like year like 15 of the podcasts by then. Like do it like basketball and like college basketball and schedule all of that stuff in like February, the season, like literally February before the season. No one is buying tickets a year in advance. It doesn't matter. Just work this stuff out closer to the season so you're actually getting the matchups that you're trying for. Like UCLA at one point scheduled Fresno State as a patsy, like as one of their like gimme games. And then Fresno State hired Tedford and ended up a monster for those games. Would they have really wanted Fresno State on the schedule? Maybe, maybe not. Hard to know. But if you didn't, like lock these contracts in so far in advance. Um, I don't know. You'd have some wiggle room and some things to figure out. Now, I, that might be untenable for reasons I'm not un, I'm unclear on. Uh, but I think most of those reasons are just because this is how we have always done it. Uh, yeah. They should stop doing it this way. Schedule closer to the season. Anyway, it is very cool. Utah, Wisconsin. That'll be fun. I do like if that. It but you're you're hundred percent right though. Like. The, we need to learn from the pandemic when there's like forceful things happening. Like, Oh, you could work from home, whatever it is. Like the new normal crap that people talk about. No one smokes I, at blackjack tables. I learned that this past weekend. That, Nobody smokes at blackjack tables. It's a great shift. Let's keep that up too. Were you in Vegas? Not, I was in Laughlin, Nevada. Oh, nice. Uh, that's true. You got the, the, the partitions up and everything. Yeah. So, um, th- these are good changes. One of the good changes was the ease of scheduling in college football. Yeah. So schedule easier and just do it faster and just make cool things happen. Like, oh, these two are hot, teams are hot. Let's play this year. Yeah. Or like literally leave an open date in your schedule and schedule it during the season. You yeah. can do that. We just saw it happen. Yeah. Um, all right. We got to talk about some spring game stuff, too. I know it will go quick because you don't really like these things. I think these are the last. So we got Colorado, Oregon, Washington and Oregon State. I think that's it until UCLA, which like just started like yeah, a week UCLA or two. will finish its spring practice sometime in July, I think. <laughs> nice. Uh, just, I mean, a couple notes uh, for Colorado. They had their spring game, I guess, uh, two weekends ago. Uh, some good quarterback play, but it wasn't from Sam Neuer. Um, so they they had the freshman from Texas and then the Tennessee transfer uh, Brendan Lewis and JT Shroud. Apparently, they looked really good um, in the game. So, I don't know. I mean, this is uh, JT Shroud. Sorry. So he came in from Texas, uh, transfer portal guy. Uh, they both look, they both look good. So it could be, uh, you know, the Sam Neuer thing. Remember, if you remember, he was the the former safety, or he was a quarterback switch of safety. Um, I, it's not a guarantee that he's the starter this year, David. No, he struggled down the stretch last year. Um, the uh, So I'm trying to throw myself back into Carl Durrell, uh brain from UCLA years. And my worry would be that he would prioritize experience um, in this conversation and maybe go with the Tennessee transfer. But I think you almost have to ding any transfer coming out of Tennessee, yeah. right? Like there's... You the Pac-12 pick, has seven Tennessee quarterback transfers, right? Like, yes, exactly. Potentially starting. Um, it's you pick Tennessee out of uh, high school, so there's something. Obviously, there's something <laughs> we need to delve into. Um, 
but like the second piece is like no that you've got some stink on you now. Um, yeah. Brennan Lewis, Brennan Lewis, that's his name, right? I'm not mess- yeah. I'm not messing that up. No, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, he Brenda, looks great. Brenda, not Brennan. Brendan. Brendan. Yeah. Brendan. Yeah. Brendan. Brendan with a D. Yes. Brendan. Yeah. Brendan. Brendan. I'm just going to keep saying it. You know when you say a name over and over and over again and then it ceases to lose all meaning? <laughs> or it, it just it actually loses all meaning, not ceases. Um, yeah, that's that's where I am with Brendan right now. Um, okay. Brendan Lewis looked really good at the end of the last year. Um, they should go with him. He's an actual dual threat. Make yeah. it happen, Carl. You can do it. You can do it. Go with inexperience. You've got it. You've got it in your hands. Just do it. Yeah. Little bit of caveats as far as spring game goes. Like, so we've seen some spring games where there's some tackling, uh, no full contact in this one. So, you know, there were some injury situations going on. Sam Norrier wasn't out there. Uh, Jarek Broussard, stud tailback, he wasn't there. Late, Nate Landman wasn't there. Um, the offensive line was all banged up. So, it, I don't think you're going to make a lot of judgments coming out of what happened in spring football. But I think the one thing we want to watch is. Who's going to end up being the the starting quarterback? Because it, it's it does seem pretty wide open, even though you got a returning starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What about Oregon's spring game? Um, I think the big thing out of that was Anthony Brown is still looking good. We weren't sure what was going to happen uh, at quarterback there. We saw Anthony Brown uh, play pretty well towards the end of uh, last season. Um, There'll be still be some competition, but I mean, to me, it just seems like he's the, uh, you know, he's been a good leader. He's been vocal there. Uh, it seems like he's got the support of the players. He definitely brings a different element, like you said, with the dual threat stuff. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's uh, the, the the guy that's next in line potentially to start for the Ducks. Yeah, he was much more stable um, at the end of the year uh, for Oregon um, when he came in. Um, so I, I think he's definitely your guy to start the year. And then you see what else you have as the year goes on. He didn't like blow me away when I was watching him, but, um, he was certainly, uh, better than our man. Shug. What? Shoe. Tyler Shuck. Shuck. Yeah. He was certainly better than Shuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that'll be, um, That'll be something that's maybe ongoing. Um, we'll see if if he's the, still the guy throughout the year, but he was certainly more stable than Chuck last year. Yeah. Um, you know, it looks like they got – we've seen some, like, receiver problems there at Oregon where they don't really have a ton, but you got Micah Pittman back, Johnny Johnson, Devin Williams, Jalen Red. Looks like they're a pretty deep group of receivers. So if, like, Anthony Brown can – Is you know, Jalen Red in his seventh year at Oregon? <laughs> I don't know. I think he's, so he's up there. I, I haven't been to an AAU or not an AAU, uh, a seven on seven event in uh, the last one I was probably at was the summer of 2015. And I want to say, was Jalen Red already in school then? Like, what class was he even in? Because I feel like I was watching him in seven on seven in like 2012. Yeah. Uh, it's. He's been around. He's been around a while, but you know, He's everyone gets the extra year. COVID. Just year. the fifth year. But man, I feel like I've been watching him forever. Is it fifth year, but he gets the sixth year because of COVID, or is it fifth total? It's his fifth total year. So okay. he was a true freshman in 2017. Okay. And um, another note, just you know, Justin Flo, obviously the super stud uh recruit, you know, he um 
you know, was lost last season to an injury, but he did join spring drills late and uh, he had a sack and one and a half tackles for loss, five tackles total and a pass breakup in the spring game. So just seeing him out there, he's someone I think that could be a difference maker for the Ducks. So, it, you know, if they keep him healthy for the year, it's someone, I think that's going to be something big. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so that was the Ducks. Uh, we also have uh, Washington. They had their spring game. Um, it was a purple versus gold event. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really get a whole lot out of reading about this one. Was there, did you have any thoughts? Purple one, 22 to 13. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> did you have any thoughts? on? I, I read a really good tweet that I was CC'd on, which was that, uh, Washington spring game was today. Washington won and they also lost. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that really, uh, really captured it, captured my interest in this, um, yeah. completely. Well, I mentioned at the top, uh, so tight end Kate Otten and, uh, left tackle Jackson Kirkland were both guys that could have been, uh, drafted and they both decided to return and they were team captains for the game. Uh, and Otten ended up having the first touchdown of the day. So, uh, he got, a, I think it was a one-handed, uh, uh, Score a one-handed catch for a seven-yard touchdown. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's good that you get some of those guys back. Washington still had, you know, a few guys drafted. We'll see. You know, Dylan Morris uh, apparently is still looking like the leader out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I would guess he's going to win the job too, just kind of like Anthony Anthony Brown. And and you know, knowing who your starting quarterback is going to be is like a full open competition, like we heard with Colorado. Looks like Morris is still going to be the guy. He's a yeah, redshirt sophomore. I, I swear to God, this pandemic is fully bending time for me because Patrick O'Brien, uh, not only did he write some great master and commander stories back in the, uh, uh, I think, 19th century, maybe 20th century, um, but I swear Jim Mora was recruiting him at UCLA in like as a replacement for Josh Rosen, maybe. Like wow. I, I think he was in like the De- Devon Modster class. He's a sixth year. He's a six-year senior, and he's that the primary competition. At yeah, no, it's it's nuts. It's like uh, everyone went on a mission. It's just uh, uh, struggling struggling with uh, all these guys still being in college. But anyway, yeah. uh, Patrick O'Brien, uh, he was uh, he was uh, you know an intriguing prospect out of high school. Didn't follow him at I think Nebraska at all. Um, but uh, yeah, Dylan Morris was good enough last year. Um, so we'll see if uh, O'Brien can can compete at all. All right. And then we have one last one. It was just uh, this past weekend. So those were, I believe the previous weekend and we hadn't done a show since then. Uh, David did a solo show. I think right before the NFL draft started, um, Oregon state had their spring game. Uh, they had fans there. So the first time fans in research stadium since 2019, right? Um, it was only about an hour long, which is a little weird, but they've had some, COVID issues, uh, a bunch of players that were out. So I think this, with the depth problems, they weren't going to run as many plays as they originally uh, thought. Maybe the highlight being uh, Isaac Hodgins. Um, he proposed to his girlfriend uh, at midfield after the scrimmage. So congrats, congrats to him. Uh, she said yes. So um, yeah. I, I, but and you have anything else on the Oregon State spring game? No, no. That's I thought you really captured the highs and the lows. <laughs> 
If I didn't take the notes, would, would anything happen here on the show? Probably not. That's why you had such a short show last week. Because there was like, well, I did put some notes. No, in you put some it. notes in there and I read them almost verbatim. And that's <laughs> no. All right. Uh, well, that's all I got. So I think those are all of the spring games, if I'm not mistaken, until UCLA's in July. So we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we'll have an update on that uh, sometime in the next couple of years. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah, by 2022, we will find out what happens at the UCLA spring game. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a quick break and come back and answer your questions. <laughs> Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Yes, David, we're back here on the podcast of champions. Did we miss anything? Any spring game notes you wanted to, to, to add? We were thinking about it during the break. Um, no, no, still have nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I've got three voicemails and I think we have like three emails. Would you like to go back and forth, do a voicemail, do an email? How would you like to do this? Oh, let's just, uh, let's just rip off the bandaid three straight voicemails. Okay. Uh, why don't we start uh, with this one? I don't know what it's about. Oh, I think this is about uh, Boston College and New Balance sneakers, I think. So here we go. Oh, great. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Perk. Um, recently, Boston College just signed a new athletic sponsorship deal where uh, they did every sport but football with New Balance. And then they did a separate sponsorship deal with Adidas. And a lot of people said that that was a smart move because it allows them to to get more gear for different sports. And um also, it gives them an opportunity to make more money on the football side just because football is more of a revenue-generating sport than track or volleyball. I was wondering if you guys think that that's a smart move and if you think um, some schools within the Pac-12 footprint should should try and implement uh, a similar deal moving forward. And then just a quick politics question for Dave. Um, do you think George W. Bush ever makes an appearance at the uh, – at the Republican National Convention again. He hasn't been to one since 2004, I think. So, yeah, I just wonder if you think he'll ever make an in-person appearance at one of those again. Thanks, guys. All right. What do you think, okay. David? What do we want to start with? Do we want to start with the Bush stuff? Yeah, you start with the Bush stuff. Uh, it really, I think it's it's murky at this point. Um, I think the, the party is very much in, still in uh, the post-Trump throws of figuring out who's going to emerge as the next big, um, I don't know, focal point of the party. And if it's somebody from the Trump, um, more the Trump, uh, I don't know, wing branch, whatever you want to call it, then probably not. Um, 
But I, I think as soon as they like go over to like being quote unquote traditional conservative again, then you'll probably see W at one of these things. Um, but I don't know when or if that's going to happen. Um, but I think they're still trying to ride this Trump thing and seeing if they can get another one, another Trumpy type um, for 2024. So I wouldn't say anytime soon, um, but potentially in the future. Yeah. And as far as like the New Balance and Adidas deal, the fact that they did, you know, one deal with all the other sports and then another deal with football, I do like the separation of football because it is so uh, important and maybe having two deals would be better than one, um, you know, depending on how it was negotiated and all that. But yeah, that's, that seems kind of interesting. I mean, they're two kind of different athletic brands, right? Like New Balance, I think. Do they have like Kawhi Leonard or something like they have like they're kind of a weird, you know, people that, you know, are, you know, the, whatever their sponsors for that, you know, Adidas has a bunch, there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of high school stuff with Adidas. Um, New Balance ones is a little bit weirder, but I actually run in the New Balance shoes. I like that you go in there and they like test your feet and stuff. It works pretty well for me, but I don't know. It seems like that would be uh, something that you should at least look at and a potential little bit extra of a revenue stream. I don't know. Any thoughts on that one? No, it's hard for me. I mean, I just don't know enough about the business of these apparel deals um, to really give a good answer either way. Um, I could see, I could see your argument, Perk, that um, splitting them up potentially gets football um, more. But I, I don't know. Maybe there's some kind of um, if you get everything, you get sort of a premium. You know, like if New Balance got football, they would have paid you know X percentage, even above what they would have done for just like the extra apparel. I don't know. Um, so I think this was maybe dictated by football cause they didn't want to go running around in new balance cleats. Um, I remember at UCLA guys, uh, even with Adidas, um, they were wearing Nikes on the field and they would draw with Sharpies over the swoosh. Um, really? Because, yeah. Cause they didn't want to even have Adidas. Um, so, uh, a lot of these dudes have real preferences as to what they're wearing. So I could see that being important for um football and they can maybe uh they can maybe dictate a little bit more than the other sports since they do bring in the most money um the other thing i would say with the bush thing and uh, just because i I don't want it to be taken uh a little bit wrong that's based off my assessment of his own personal um proclivities here i think he doesn't want to be associated with the uh unpalatable trump wing um I, i mean i think he's I think he's very bad too. Um, and all this like remaking his, um, you know, personality and all this other stuff in the wake of Trump is uh, complete nonsense. I mean, he's still the guy who completely, uh, invaded a country in an unjust war for, uh, trumped up reasons that didn't, um, actually turn out to be at all true and actually turned out to be very much lies. So he's a very bad person and a very bad president as are most presidents. Um, but I think he has his own personal, um, sense of standards that, uh, conflict with what the Trump wing of the Republican party is currently doing. Yeah. For all those, uh, Bush fans or Republican fans out there, don't worry. David, uh, bashes both sides of the aisle equally when it comes to presidents. He likes, uh, Abraham Lincoln. That's pretty much it. Yeah. None of them. They're all, they're all pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, so I saw, uh, George W. Bush this morning, I was watching like on the golf channel I forget what it's called. Some kind of cup where it's like amateurs from United States going against, it's like match play against amateurs from, 
uh, Great Britain and Ireland. And uh, the USA was up. I don't know. I didn't see what happened in the afternoon, but they had they interviewed him there. So I saw an interview with him this morning. But yeah, it's, was it's funny. Like, was he golfing? No, he wasn't golfing. He was just like an ambassador or something or whatever like that. But um, yeah, I mean, he's you know, there was people that like hated him. But then like if you're from the, you know, the Democratic side and you really hated George W., but then you like compare him to Trump and they're like, oh, he's actually kind of nice. You know, <laughs> like, well, this, it's funny. This goes, into, this goes into my whole theory about it, which is that, I mean, obviously there was a lot that was, I mean, a lot that was bad about, I mean, there's a lot that's bad about all these guys, a lot that was bad about Trump. But I think for a, a kind of shockingly large subset of people, it was simply that he was rude and uncouth. Um, and then they looked back at George W. Bush and they said, oh, he wasn't, he wasn't anywhere like this because he wasn't rude and uncouth. Um, I think for a lot of people, it was simply the aesthetics of the man, which is shocking and appalling uh, that that's the thing that gets you, not the actual um, functions being done. Uh, but I think that's I think that's the only obvious takeaway for people who have now decided to, um, you know, w completely whitewash the history uh, with Bush just because of how he compares to Trump. Well, the only fundamental difference is aesthetics. Um, yeah. And so I think that's. That's a real commentary on those people and their uh, their actual priorities in this. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We got another voicemail. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Uh, I had a question uh, about the Pac-12 South. So uh, basically, like I've seen, you know, arguments, uh, you know, that can be made for teams like ASU and UCLA uh, to win the South next year, even though it seems like most people have USC favored, except some people that I think could have ASU, uh, and, uh, you know, I've even heard arguments for, like, Utah. And so uh, I just kind of want to know if maybe uh, people are kind of not including Colorado in those arguments, and if that's that's kind of not right in the sense that, you know, they were they were the second-best team uh, in the Pac-12 South last year. I know they weren't very good as a team, but I've seen a lot worse teams than Colorado in college football last year. So, you know, I just kind of want to know, you know, with ASU, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know, if Herman can be the guy and, you know, get those, get that returning talent to play their potential, they could be pretty good. And, you know, UCLA, it's about, you know, could they, uh, you know, edge out some of those close games and win some of them, you know, maybe take the South and Utah, you know, can Kyle Whittingham kind of do his thing and, and get them back uh, to win the Pac-12 South. I just kind of want to know if people are kind of sleeping on our Colorado. So do you think that Colorado could beat USC next year? And do you think that uh, they have a shot to win the Pac-12 South? So thank you guys. Great question from Evan. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the, the South is, I don't think it's sewn up for anybody. Um, I think with Colorado, for me, it's going to be um, what they can figure out at the quarterback position. If it is Brendan Lewis and he can actually provide um, a little bit of that dual threat capability, um, that can be a game changer. Um, they return, I would say, quite a bit um, from last year's team. Uh, so it's not as if they're, you know, lacking in ability. Um, what I would say last year is that uh, their performance in terms of record maybe didn't match up with what they were looking like analytics-wise. Um, so there's a little bit of skepticism uh, about whether they can sustain that for a full 12-game season. Um, but if if they lock down the quarterback position, then you know a lot of things can fall into place pretty quickly. Um, it's, there's a reason it's the most important position on the field, and if they if they have a guy who can really do it, then um, you know all bets are off. 
I think with Colorado, I mean, I'm not saying it was smoke and mirrors last year, but they definitely outperformed where I thought they would be. Um, And if they can do the same thing this year, that'd be great. I I just think you're looking at Utah. I I feel they're, they're rising my board on my board a little bit. I think that they've done a good job in the transfer portal market. Um, I think they'll both the lines are going to be good. I I just feel like Utah is going to be a tough team. ASU has got a lot of talent. They just seem to be trending in the right direction. They haven't broken through. They're like still a seven and five team all the time. USC is probably the most talented, you know, will they, they've improved their coaching staff, but they still got Clay Helton. Are they going to like blow some games that they, you know, their, their schedule's not that hard. Are they going to blow some games that they shouldn't? They're probably going to happen. Um, UCLA was trending upward for sure. Do they keep that going? Do they look like a legit team that could run the football with a dynamic quarterback and playing better defense and all that? So, yeah, I, I would put the the ASUs and the, the UCLAs and UC, USC ahead of where Colorado is, but they proved me wrong last year. I mean, it was a short season. It was weird. But now that you're not really like quarterback situations, unsure, all of that, I, I, I still think they're going to kind of be on the outside looking in. I love what Arizona's doing, like as far as building, um, you know, for the future. But it's for the future. You know, this is like you're you're putting in the foundation, and other people are like you know decorating the houses. Like they're Arizona has to start from the ground up and uh, somehow dig out of this 12 game losing streak hole, and get it going in the right direction. But I would still say. Um, you know, it's going to be ASU, Utah, and USC for me in the top half of the Pac-12 South. Yep. We got one more voicemail. I think this is a playoff one, so we can get a little more discussion about this. Here you go. David Woods. This is Andrew in Seattle. Uh, Just listened to your uh, solo episode without Ryan, and I'm calling to commend you on um, the always reliable rebukes of uh, the idea to expand the college football playoff. You understand the issue deeply. We know we can count on you. Hashtag stay at four. We love nice. it. It's like a cult. It's like a cult. It is funny. It's like it's a cult following. Everybody's wrong, but hey, you know, you, it's kind of you guys are all going to go down with the ship. It's perfect. Well, no, it's just uh, it's just it's hard when you see everyone trying to ruin a thing you love uh, for like just basically no reason beyond like, yeah, it'll be great. Um, you know, it's just it's you know, it's tough. It's tough to handle. Yeah, well, we'll see. It, it can't get much worse for the Pac-12 right now. I would think actually whatever's going on right now. Actually, it totally can. It totally can. I don't you think know what can. an eight team, you know, what an 18, 12 team playoff is going to include. Like half the goddamn SEC. True, but it will include the Pac-12, which yeah, yeah. So what are the so okay? Let's just do some quick math. When the Pac-12 team gets in, right, because it's actually good enough to make a fourteen playoff, it's got what? Maybe a one in four chance, maybe a little bit less, depending on the quality of the teams, right? Right. Yeah. What does it have in a twelve-team playoff when it's going against seven SEC teams? Like, what are the odds the Pac-12 is emerging with more titles in that scenario than they were in the four-team playoffs? I think you're discounting the fact of making the playoff. And I feel like on the recruiting side, and I think Wilner's wrote about this and other people have, and a lot of people are talking about it. If you think a prospect is going to go to Georgia or Alabama or Clemson because they have a chance of making the playoff, 
do they not necessarily move across the country because they can make the playoff on the West Coast? Like right now, you can't make the playoff on the West Coast. You, you can't decouple this into theory when we have the actual practical application of this. Do you think USC and UCLA's problem in recruiting is that they haven't made the playoff? Uh, like, do you think their fundamental problem in recruiting is that they haven't made the playoffs? No, no. I think it's a problem. I don't think it's um, it, the it, end all. Is it even in the top three of their problems? There's a lot of problems. Their problems, uh, they start with the two guys who are their head coaches, and they stream down from that um, priorities at the program level that have nothing to do with whether or not they're making the playoffs. If they simply had good teams, if they were simply going 9-3 and three reliably at UCLA, uh, it wouldn't matter if they were making the playoff or not. They would still be recruiting top 10, top 15 classes. Um, it, 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 this is where it gets silly for me because it's not as if Oregon and Washington are feeling ill effects from, in Washington's case, only making the playoff once. They're recruiting better than they have in, I don't know, like just generally speaking, in like 20 years. Um Oregon is recruiting at a level consistently it never has before. Um, these aren't ill effects of the playoff. It's simply, very simply, that the two schools that have had historically the best success recruiting in the Pac-12 and maintaining talent, and the ones who are most responsible for whether California talent is leaving the region, have sucked for like 10 years now. Um, and, well, for UCLA, it's brief blip of three years with Jim Mora era, but sucked relative to their history, um, UCLA for 20 years. Uh, that's the problem. It's not whether or not they're making the playoff or not. That's a, it's just a complete canard. Um, you can throw that away. It's these two teams have not, have not held up their end. And for that, you know, the PAC 12 is getting reliably and, uh, justifiably castigated by college football media, but it has nothing to do with whether or not they're going in and being a sacrificial lamb to, <clears throat> lamb to Alabama. I, I think it's still important. I mean, with the two top players, two of the top players on the West Coast from the state of Washington, and one's going to Ohio State and the other one's probably going there. I mean, like, that doesn't have a lot to do with USC and UCLA, but it seems like you're getting away from the West Coast because there's no one on the West Coast that's going to be contending. I, I I still think it's a, it's a it's an issue, you know, how significant you can argue, but I think it's a real issue. Yeah, but the thing is, it would get it would be it wouldn't be a major issue if you still had the two schools that are historically the ones who locked down California uh, actually doing their job, um, and they're not. And when they don't do that, and when USC is down and not because USC with the way it recruits. It doesn't matter if the if uh, whatever the Pac-12 is making the playoff every year or not, they would have the talent to do so um, basically every year because of the way they can recruit. Why are they not doing so? Because they've hired Clay Helton, and for whatever reason, the school will not fire him. Yeah. Um, and that's the problem. UCLA uh, reliably in history recruits at a top 15, top 20 level. Under Chip Kelly, they're recruiting at a top 35 level. Okay, that's going to diminish <clears throat> your potential as not just a playoff contender, but as a reliable, you know, uh, maintainer of talent, uh, developer of talent, and, um, you know, keep you from, uh, you know, consistently making big bowl games. Um, it's just all this stuff combined that's making it so 
the Pac-12 has a lower reputation, and it's not just those schools. Stanford is also down relative to where it was 10 years ago. Um, it's just there's a lot of contributing factors that have very little to do with um, whether or not more Pac-12 teams have made a 14 playoff. And those aren't going to be solved if you suddenly put uh, last year's Oregon team in a 12-team playoff to get smoked. Like, that's not going to solve anything. I think it's a, it's a, it's a silly idea that that in and of itself is going to have anything beyond an infinitesimal effect on talent development or talent acquisition in the region. All right. Well, I think we agree. The, the expanding the playoffs makes the most sense. So let's I will go fight with you. I will fight you to the death. <laughs> That's it for voicemails. You want to switch over to emails? I would love to. Uh, so what do we got? Disaster? Yeah. Uh, this is from Frank in Sacramento. Disaster! Two exclamation points. Terrible draft for the Pac-12. I think Alabama had more players picked in the first three rounds than the whole Conference of Champions. Thanks, Larry. This, is one, of, man, this is one of a few things where I would not pin really any of the blame on Larry Scott. Yeah, I don't think this is a Larry Scott thing. I mean, you're it's it's sort of like recruiting in this cycle when the Pac-12 primary relies on the state of California and the state of California did not have senior seasons for their players. They didn't they had some spring football. I mean, the Pac-12 starting later having fewer games, I, I don't think that helped either now it did help that you're going to have some, a bunch of guys coming back that maybe wouldn't have that, that would have left if they had a full season but i i don't think that helped the pac-12 either no it certainly didn't um but yeah i mean this is what we talked about earlier i i don't think this is a not something that's controlled at the conference level it's simply um the the schools have not done a good job good enough job recruiting and um, developing talent yeah speaking of we haven't really talked about the pac-12 commissioner stuff huh um, Wilner's been doing a good job of that, but it's, it seems like my confidence in the Pac-12 hiring somebody good has has waned a little. What, what about you? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, it's uh, it's taken a while, and and Larry's up in like three weeks, right? Is it June first or is it July first? I forget. I think it's it July first. I think it's the end of June. Um, so it's it's coming up. It's definitely coming. Maybe they won't have that graceful transitional period with him where he's going to be able to educate the new commissioner on uh, everything he needs to do, which well, I, I say is great. Paid. He's still getting paid, right? So if he has to go like an extra month, like, yeah, you, you take your $5 million and stay an extra month to help the new guy. Or don't. Oh, yeah, get, get away. Yeah, he could also do that. No. All right, uh, that's our commissioner update for the championship. we'll probably talk about more about that next week uh improving pac-12 football is what peter from vancouver washington wants to talk about he says gentlemen i listened to dave's comments about expanding the playoff on the last podcast dave i used to agree with you about expanding the playoffs not being a good thing but over the last year i have changed my position hold on <laughs> cheers to you peter i do agree dave that the only way the Pac-12 team that the Pac-12 teams can get to the level that they would need to win a national championship is to play better. You're right that the Pac-12 teams have not been at that level recently, but to get to that level, two things need to happen. Coaching uh, needs to be better, and teams need better players. Some Pac-12 teams may need more of one, 
but both would help any team. The question is, how can Pac-12 teams improve in both areas? That's where I think the playoff can help. In surveys of some of the top recruits, two reasons for choosing a school stand out for many of these recruits, getting to the NFL and playing in the college football playoffs. Dave, you might not agree. He doesn't. But you need to put yourself in the mind of those top recruits. If the Pac-12 is constantly shut out of the playoffs, then there are there then there are going to be many of the top recruits that will not uh, be able to attract. I don't think you read that, put that correctly. But okay, if the playoffs are expanded, then that reason goes away, and eventually some of those top recruits will play for Pac-12 schools. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I got to pause right here because um, I will forget this point by the time we're done. Okay, you're you're. Peter, when Alabama wins the national championship, do you think it results in a recruiting uptick for Ole Miss? Do you think it recruits, results in a recruiting uptick for Mississippi State? It results in a recruiting uptick for Alabama. That's it. When LSU makes the playoff and wins the national championship, it results in a recruiting uptick for LSU. They don't sit there and say, oh, LSU made it. Now I'm really going to consider Vanderbilt. Um, and the same would be true in the Pac-12. There are only, uh, I think, four schools in the Pac-12 who would have a reasonable chance of making a, a theoretical playoff 10 years from now, um, which are Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA. Um, yes, other teams can catch lightning in a bottle. Absolutely. But if you're looking for the four schools that have um, the year-in, year-out potential because of their recruiting base, it's those four. And those recruiting bases do not change based off of any of these weird vagaries. Their baseline level is enough that they could potentially be a con- perennial playoff contender. The problem is um, coaching quality, coaching instability, all that stuff. Um, USC doesn't have it. UCLA doesn't have it. Oregon may or may not have it. Cristobal certainly a good recruiter. I think it's up in the air still whether he's that caliber of coach. And Washington may not have it in Jimmy Lake. Um, but that's the problem. Um, and it's not going to benefit ASU for Oregon to make the playoff this year. It really isn't, aside from uh, probably some money. Um, but it's not going to help them where like a guy's going to be like, oh, wow, Oregon made the playoff. I'm going to go to Tempe. Um, it just That's not how it works. Um, when the recruits are talking about, I want to go to that place for the college football playoff, what they mean is I want to go to that place because they keep winning national championships because the place they're talking about is one of Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. Uh, the way to stop that from happening is for uh, USC to stop shooting itself in the foot, be that team again, for Oregon to finally break through and be that team, because certainly their talent is now at the level where they should be pretty damn close to that team. Um, have Washington not completely blow the end of the Chris Peterson era, and uh, maybe they still won't. Who knows? And have UCLA uh, actually behave like UCLA. Um, but until those things happen, it's not going to matter whether you expand this thing or not because the teams that get into the college football playoff, they're not going to be winning national championships with any consistency because they're not good enough. You have to be good enough. I would say, like, if we look at the ACC, say Clemson wasn't a perennial power, I think Clemson being in the playoff every year probably helps Miami and Florida State and North Carolina. I think it helps those In what schools. way? Because let me tell that you They're competing the with a team that's... Let me tell you trying about to the win ACC. championships. Let me tell you about the ACC. It's a worse league than the Pac-12. If Clemson was truly lifting all boats, we would be seeing something different. Yeah, I mean, Clemson is not resulting in a recruiting uptick for Duke. They're not no, resulting in like a recruiting for, uptick for NC State. 
for like man, Miami and Florida State. I think it helps. No, they're not. More. Demonstrably not. Um, and if if they were, then we would see the ACC becoming a better league than the Pac-12. But if you take away Clemson, they're not. I mean, I think Miami's like a away, preseason. If you take away Oregon and the Pac-12 and you take away Clemson and the, and the ACC, the two best teams in each league, the Pac-12 is a superior league to the ACC. And that shouldn't be true if Clemson was actually lifting all boats. They're not. I mean, Miami's, I think, preseason top 10 team right now. I mean, they're. Uh, I think just having that kind of power in your league does lift do some boat lifting. I think there's some of that there. But, uh, I, I get, not, I get what you're saying. I, yeah, you know. I mean, it, but what I'm, what my main point is, and it remains, and I think it's not um, negated by Peter's well, well-made argument here. And we're going to read the last two paragraphs in just a second. Uh, the teams just need to be better. Um, and until you're actually winning national championships um, and in position to play competitive games in the college football playoff, uh, then I, I don't really see where this is going to result in a significant recruiting uptick, even for those teams. Um, they need to be better to, you know, get better. Well, Peter continues, Dave, you're right that at first Pac-12 teams may likely get stopped by some of the top teams in the playoff. But that is how they're going to learn how to play at an elite level. And the more top recruits that play for Pac-12 schools, the better they will play, which gives them a better shot at becoming elite enough to win a national championship. This feels. Dave, this is now feeling like an under un, an underpants gnomes argument to steal a South Park, um, which is you know, step one you steal underpants, step two, and then step three is profit. Uh, but we're missing the step two here, oh, okay. um, which is uh, why are the top recruits coming to play for Pac-12 schools who are getting stomped every year in the playoff? Yeah, well, if the argument is if they make it, you're gonna you're gonna bring more, but we'll see. But he says okay, but Dave, there are now twelve teams making it. Yeah, then you kind of like it takes so something when, when recruit when Joe recruit sees in this twelve team playoff. There are five SEC teams, three Big Ten teams, one ACC team, one Pac-12 team, and then two group of fives. That's going to result in the recruiting uptick for the Pac-12? Interesting. That's the theory. But he, I'll, I'll, let me finish his email. Dave, what plan do you have? I'm sorry, yeah, what plan do you have that you think gives the Pac-12 a better chance at getting elite teams? And he puts in parentheses. Playing better is not a plan. Hiring a better coach at USC might, but the Pac-12 may again be considered USC and the 11 Dwarves, so we would need more than just that. Peter in Vancouver. You want more than just that? Fine. Uh, Hire a better coach at USC and UCLA and probably Washington. Um, Maybe kick David Shaw out of Stanford because he's not doing his job there anymore. Um, He's a good analyst on the NFL Network. I don't know. Do those things uh, that uh, maybe free up the teams that have potential to actually do, you know, uh, playoff caliber stuff. Um, They actually are freed up to do so. Um, But those things need to happen. That is the plan. USC needs to fire its coach. UCLA either needs to see Chip Kelly win nine or ten games this year or move on. Uh, Those are two things that absolutely need to happen. That is the plan. There isn't a weird plan where... Oh, okay, we're just going to um, free up more spots in the playoffs so that a Pac-12 team can get in against five SEC teams 
and three Big Ten teams and another ACC team and two group of five schools and say that that is going to be the panacea that fixes everything. It's not. What's going to fix everything, or at least as much as things can be fixed for the Pac-12, is if USC starts behaving like USC again, UCLA starts behaving like UCLA again, and Washington gets over this immediate blip that they've had with Jimmy Lake, which, again, still a lot of time to figure it out, but they need to evaluate it constantly and see if that's going to be figured out. Um, And then Oregon needs to be ruthless if they're looking because they are now playing very much big boy football um, in a lot of different ways. And they need to look at the crystal ball era and say, okay, if crystal ball doesn't win, you know, 10 games next year with that roster of uh, pretty much elite talent across the board, we need to start thinking about what the next plan is. Um, They need to start behaving that way. Um, And uh, that's, that's the ticket. That's it. All right, I go to go one last uh, email to get to. All right, this is from Frank in Sacramento. Eight team playoff rules. Uh, one, the college football championship shall consist of eight teams. Two, first round playoff games will be held at the four highest TV rated college bowl sites over the last 20 years, not including the traditional New Year's Day game sites. Three, second round games will be rotated among the two of the four traditional New Year's Day game sites, Rose, Orange, Fiesta, Sugar. Four, the championship game will be held in rotation at one of the four traditional New Year's Day Bowl sites. Five, the first five teams selected for the playoffs will be made up of the championships, champions of the five power conferences. However, no conference champion rated outside the top ten will participate. The remaining three slots, slots may be awarded to very high-ranking others in the power five conferences, a very high-ranking Notre Dame team, or one or more uh, non-power five conference champions. Seven teams will be seeded by ranking. However, should one conference have three teams in the first round, two of those teams must play each other in the first round. Frank and Sacramento. Frank, I don't like the, if you're a champion outside of the top 10, I think if you're going to do champions, you just have to do all the champions because then there could be, you know, with the rankings, like, you know, you got like a a third, you know, third in the, say like LSU is like third in the, the SEC West or whatever. And, but they're still ranked number nine and like, you know, like Oregon wins the pac 12, they're ranked number 11. Like that, that LSU's getting in and Oregon's not like, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. I love the idea of uh, Rick Neuheisel's six and six, 2011 UCLA team having a chance at the playoff um, heading into December. I think that'd be great. Yeah. That, that, I mean, especially if they had enough gloves, boom, you're, yeah. you're in. I like them. But that's the thing that's gross about this. When you do the auto bids, um, because suddenly you're making this at the whole argument, for this entire stupid thing going from the bowl games to the BCS to the college football playoff was to find your two best teams to really narrow it down and get your two best teams. And when you start doing auto bids, uh, you're very much not doing that. Um, when you're making it possible for, uh, the team, because all these conferences are pretty much in divisions. Now you're making it. So the weaker division, um, has an advantage uh, to potentially make the playoff every single year where a team that's not good enough is going to be one game away from the playoff every year. Now that makes it fun, exciting, the whole thing, but you're getting even further away from making sure that the best teams are playing for the national championship, which was the entire stupid point in every single revision of this stupid system since they did away with just the pole, pure bull game thing where it was just the AP poll told you who won at the end. Um, So it's, this is a way to make it more like the NFL, to make it more like um, other professional leagues, uh, 
but it's not a way to make it, you know, who the best team is. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't love the auto bids. Um, and on the flip side, I used to be pro playoff uh, expansion, uh, but when you sit there and think about what the auto bids actually mean and think about how many undeserving teams – I mean, there was that year that Alabama won the national championship because it was very clearly the best team and they didn't win their conference. Um, and in this scenario, I don't think they'd be left out, but there's a chance. Um, you want it to be so that the, uh, the very best teams in the, uh, in the sport can, uh, can make it in and not just off of one stupid blip in a conference championship game. But also, you don't want Duke in a national champ in a in a playoff. And you know, if they win their side of the division, they could. Do you, what? I've heard some people talk about getting rid of the conference championship games altogether, so you win your conference just in the regular season. Any thoughts on that? Um, I don't think that's. I think that'll probably be a non-starter. Um, they would have to come up with a lot of money um, to pay off the leagues to make that worth it. Um, I, I'm, I'm not entirely opposed, but, um, you've got these monster leagues where the unbalanced schedule is going to be, um, I mean, it already is difficult to handle year in and year out, um, because you're just not playing the same teams. Uh, ideally world, ideal world, you would be back to like 10 team conferences so you can play a true round robin, but that's, you know, never happening again. Uh, but that's the problem there is that, you know, Alabama might not play the best teams in the SEC one year, whereas, you know, Florida might get stuck playing, you know, a bunch of really good teams in the SEC. Um, and if you do away with the conference title game, you might not even see the two best teams in the SEC ever play um, or for that matter, any other league. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I like the conference championship games as they are uh, in college football. Um, but any scenario where they're going to 12 or 16 is probably going to necessitate cutting something. Um, yeah. And it might very well be the conference championship games. Um, but that's where you get into, this is going to have not just like meaningful stakes, um, outcome, uh, uh, meaningful stakes implications for the regular season, but it might actually cut into the actual number of games that you're able to watch of your team. If they're not very good. Um, if they're like an eight-win team and they're not involved in the playoff, well, maybe there's no longer a conference championship game for them to get blown out in. But it's a one fewer game that you might be able to watch your team play in. Yeah. Um, and this will also serve to devalue bowl games even further, um, where they are just pure nonsense exhibitions at the end of the season rather than a meaningful um, finishing point for your team. Um, every, every bowl game will suddenly be the Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah, and not really mean much. Okay. We can disagree. We will. And uh, we're going to see a college football playoff expansion, so I'm happy about that. But anything else, David? I think we uh, probably should wrap it up. Let's wrap this up. We'll do it. Uh, that's going to finish things off. Uh, we tried to keep it tight. What do we go, like hour and 15 minutes or so? Yeah, eh, not too bad. Um, that is David David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham, and we are the podcast of champions. We really appreciate you listening to our little show. Hope you enjoyed it. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.